The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We are going to talk about why the counterpunch for the Boston Celtics was weak. We're going to talk about the impact that Luis Urias could have on the Brewers' offense. We are going to wrap up the show with the Wisconsin Shotsky. So excited to do all of that and much more on today's show. Uh, just a reminder, you know where to find us. Tapping the keg on Twitter. Tapping the keg sports on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Appreciate all of you that engage with that. Um, whether it's a like, whether it's a reply, whether it's a share. Um, all of that is great. Uh, really fun communities on all of those platforms. Um, and then lastly, uh, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast if you haven't. Uh, we are on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are subscribed, rate, review, uh, tell a friend, uh, tell them what we're all about. Say, hey, get a little bit of a different uh, angle on the Bucks recap. You're going to get the Boston media machine all over the national media uh, after this Bucks loss and maybe hear something a little bit different and why this guy is going to say the counterpunch was a little bit weak and wasn't as strong and give you guys a lot of hope heading into game three, which we'll probably talk obsessively over. Let's talk about game two and why I'm not that sold that you should panic or worry and that this is looking more and more like an outlier. Blowout losses are funny, right? Blowout losses can have all sorts of reactions. I am a big believer in that the first quarters do not matter. Um, I have long stand said that first quarters in the NBA are not that important. Today, the first quarter was important. Granted, the Milwaukee Bucks battled back. They were down 11. I was like, all right, they kind of weathered the storm here. Then they turned the ball over seven times in the second quarter, and Giannis was consistently bad. He only scored two points, and it led to the Milwaukee Bucks being down 25 points at halftime. Now, they were able to climb the ladder a couple different times, but they were not able to actually get down to like 10 points or get down to single digits. Every time the Bucks got close, it seemed like the Boston Celtics would hit a big shot or the Bucks would do something dumb. It was kind of like Sisyphus rolling the ball up the hill. The Bucks would get close and then all of a sudden that ball would roll right down the hill. But when you peeled the onion after getting done with this game, it revealed a few different things. It revealed, number one, that this game was quite the outlier. Shot quality is a great site, or I'm sorry, it's a great Twitter feed to tell you if a team got lucky or not based on the shots that they made. Shot quality scored this game as 98 to 98. That's what the game was between the Bucks and the Celtics. They thought that the Celtics had that much luck on their shots, and Milwaukee did not have as fortunate of a game and only scored in the 80s. Um, this is the first time all year that Milwaukee scored under 90 points. They will get heralded, Boston, they being Boston, will get heralded for their defense. Everybody will talk about the defense. Sure, that's fine, but let's also be clear here that the Milwaukee Bucks had a lot of issues in terms of scoring, and they need to figure it out from beyond the arc. That is something that they have to fix. That part is not an outlier, but we'll get to that in a second. I want to talk more about the outlier part and why this counterpunch, while it seems massive, while it seems like, oh my God, this is the Celtics team that we expected, all this other bullshit, it's not, it's not the case. Celtics made 51 more or scored 51 more points on three pointers today. 
that is an outlier, folks. That you will not see. The you will not see that again. I promise you. The Celtics made a lot of open threes again. The Celtics scored, you know, our shot in franchise record number of threes. The difference between game one and game two is they made them. I hate to sound like John Madden R.I.P., but that was the difference in the game. The Celtics were refusing to get at anything at the basket. So even though Mike Budenholzer's tactics failed in this game, it still worked in the sense that the Bucks interior defense was in the heads of the Boston players. Even after their coach, after the game, said Giannis Antetokounmpo is not Wilt Chamberlain. We'll get to the Celtics-Bucks stuff a little bit later about how everybody is playing into the hands of the Milwaukee Bucks. The Celtics are checking off every checklist, which includes that comment by Emmy. But I want to get to that a little bit later, probably a Shotsky topic. The fact of the matter is, is that the Milwaukee Bucks are not going to see this type of shooting from Boston. First of all, Boston's going on the road. Usually you do not shoot that way on the road. You do not necessarily have the comfort the comfort of your home gym where you know the rim, you know the angles, you know what works, what doesn't. That's number one. Number two, you are going to not be able to ride on the crowd. I thought the crowd was pretty good in this game, and I think they did propel a lot of that second quarter. I felt like the avalanche kind of came, which is something that the Boston Celtics have done all in the second half is where they've blown out teams in the first half, and it hasn't been close the rest of the way. This is not uncommon for them. But that being said, the way they did it was not necessarily sustainable. This is not something that we're going to see, you know, in the rest of the playoffs. Boston's not going to just continue to be this hot. It's unrealistic. You started to see it a little bit in the second half. Now, Boston hit some big shots. But again, I would argue that the Bucks had opportunities to make sure they didn't hit those big shots. There were way too many open looks, whether it was Tatum, whether it was Grant Williams, on just frantic plays that didn't break the Bucks' way. And in the second half, the Bucks started to figure some shit out offensively. You started to see a lot of the pick and roll stuff with Giannis. Stan Van Gundy, while he has some flaws with the block charge, he really needs to work on that. He was fantastic in identifying what the Bucks were doing and how the Bucks kept getting to the lane. And Van Gundy mentioned that the Bucks seemed to have more of their offense figured out than Boston did in the second half. I thought that was a huge note from him. I thought that was a really important comment because to me, what the Bucks were doing in the second half was way more sustainable. Now, do they need to shoot more threes? Absolutely. It's crazy that we're talking about that because the Bucks were a three-point team throughout the years. And that's where the Chris Middleton factor is sorely missed. I don't think the Bucks shoot only 15 threes if Chris Middleton is playing in this game. I think at least they're at 21, they're at 22, and who knows what the, the number is. The Bucks need to get their guys more involved. There was another stat today about that it was a much of a Giannis and Drew show and not everybody else was involved. And that that's a problem. Like that that can't happen going forward. But again, those are adjustable things. Those are things that I know the Bucks can figure out for game number three. That's not something I am worried about. And they will adjust and they will make that thing happen. I don't know what the Celtics can do from a they're basically spray and pray. Like that's all the Celtics are. 
If the Celtics' three-pointers go down, they're going to have a really good chance with the way they play defense. If they don't go down, they're going to be in trouble because that leads to more transition opportunities for Giannis Antetokounmpo, for Drew Holiday, for Bobby Portis, and that's going to be that would be a that's going to be a real issue. That's not that's not something that is just going to get fixed overnight. So that part of it, to me, really sets up nicely for the Milwaukee Bucks. Funny enough. And a little bit more on that dive in in terms of who touched the ball and who didn't. Pat Connaughton was the only guy off the bench that scored 13 points. You Or scored double digits, excuse me. You had Grayson Allen who had five points. You had Javon Carter who had two points. You had four points from Wesley Matthews. Brooke Lopez had an awful night. Only two points. He was minus 18 PER tonight. Like, it was Ugly. Matt Matthews with a minus 24 uh, plus minus, not PR. I do that shit all the time. Sorry about that. But regardless, like I, I think there are some obvious, you got need more contributions, but I do think it's some of what the Bucks have been doing. Now, this big three lineup that was much heralded, that was much talked about right before game one, is not going to work going forward. And I kind of predicted this. I said this to... Mitch on our podcast when we kind of talked about this series last Wednesday and having the keg, I said, look, they're going to try out this big three lineup. They're going to try it out. They're going to see if it works. And if it doesn't, they will make changes. I will bet anything in the world that the Bucks go with a smaller lineup for game number three. I would imagine the lineup will look something like Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, Wes Matthews, Pat Connaughton. That to me is the lineup that I think they're going to go with. Now, could I see a situation where Brooke comes off the bench and that Bobby is in there as the big five, essentially what the Bucks did earlier this season? Yes, I, I or a small five, excuse me, the undersized five. Yes, I, I do think that could be on the table, but I, I wonder about the interior defense. Like, I wonder if that will give Boston sort of that confidence to attack the paint. I understand that Bobby's offense is def- definitely needed but I do wonder if that maybe would not necessarily lead to the same sort of strategy. That the Celtics will attack the rack and it make sure that they're kind of attacking Bobby Portis versus, you know, Brooke Lopez, who I think is a mountain in there. And I think they don't want to go in there. I don't think they want the smoke of Brooke Lopez. But I, I think you need to insert whether it's Pat Conson or Grayson Allen into the starting lineup. I think either of those guys need to be there, and either Bobby or Brooke is going to the bench. And it's really up to the Bucks coaching staff to decide. I think if we go another game with the three bigs, that will be a bad move. I don't think that's going to be a move that works. The way the Bucks play defense, they need to provide more closeouts. Even if they're going to allow threes, they need to make them difficult. Like I have no problem with the Bucks defense. It's worked. It won us a fucking championship, okay? But I need to see a little bit more. And the Bucs, I think, were less in the drop defense against Brooklyn. Remember, the Bucs did a lot more switching. The Bucs, you know, made sure that they were up on people. I would imagine that you see a little more switching and you see maybe a little less of this sort of spray and pray from Boston. And, you know, Milwaukee makes it a little tougher to shoot threes. They know what guys want their spots. And to avoid that would be great. I think, again, Boston has some real problems and Boston's going to need, you know, some help other than, you know, getting efforts like Grant Williams making six threes tonight is fucking stupid. Al Horford made six threes the night before, right? Uh, He only made one in this game. 
So the question really becomes, can Al, can you get another one of that? Who is going to be that? Derek White has looked completely terrified. Derek White is terrible. Like, he had no points. He had, uh, let's see, he had no points. He had five fouls. He missed all four threes. He was not good. Peyton Pritchard, uh, six points, 24. He made two threes, but he, again, was a minus on the court. There wasn't necessarily that. I don't know if you're going to get 12 threes. So, like, look at this. This is crazy. Like, you look at these numbers, and you're like, Grant Williams had six made threes. Jalen Brown had six made threes. Jason Tatum had five made threes. That's, again, like, good luck having that happen again. Good luck duplicating that. You can say all you want about that defense, but the Bucks started to figure it out in the second half. And I would be terrified if I was Boston I right now. Like, there's going to be a lot of chest pumping. There's going to be a lot of people that are like, oh, yeah, this is the Celtics we expected, everything like that. But I think those are people who were missing that second half. You should really watch back that second half and watch what the Bucks were doing and where Giannis said, all right, I kind of figured out what Grant Williams is. Grant Williams is a tank. Like Giannis can't barrel into Grant Williams because he is a wall. But what Giannis can do is back him down and completely eat his lunch. And that's a fact. And I don't think they're going to want Grant Williams on Giannis as this playoff series goes on. Giannis is going to figure out his way around Grant Williams. I feel the same about Al Horford. I said that after game one. I think Al Horford will start to wear down as this series goes on. As this series gets more physical, more intense, I don't know if Al Horford's going to be as successful in game number five and six as he is in game one and game two. I thought Al Horford had some moments. I mean, he had 11 and 11. So, I mean, he, he played well, even if he didn't shoot the ball all that well. It doesn't matter. I mean, that was... That was still a productive day from Horford. I expect him maybe to not be the same type of guy. So really, it comes down to they have three guys, maybe, right? It's Robert Williams, it's Jalen Brown, and it's Jason Tatum. And I don't know if Robert Williams had even put in that equation. You're going to need somebody to step up. And right now, it's not necessarily looking sustainable. Now, they'll probably get Marcus Smart back for game three, but I got to be honest, like Marcus Smart, I think, is a negative in this series. I think Marcus Smart's ball handling, while he's good at sort of being a quarterback and he's convinced that he can be a point guard and he showed as much this season that he could be a point guard, he is not a true point guard. And Drew Holiday exposed him in game number one. And I think it added a lot of piss to Drew, Drew Holiday. Like I think Drew came out with hot piss in game number one. And not to say that his piss was cold in game number two, but that motivation of this motherfucker is defensive player of the year before I was. And I think he takes it as a disrespect. There was a lot of fuck you edge from Drew Holiday in game number one. He didn't necessarily have that in game number two because Smart wasn't out there. I think he makes Smart's life a living hell. I think Smart, it will be really difficult for me to think that this team isn't better without Marcus Smart or Marcus Smart coming off the bench. I think because they don't have an actual point guard, backup-wise, Smart's needed, right? I think you saw those moments with White where Smart was definitely needed. But I don't know if you can play White. But the fact of the matter is, is like, okay, is Boston really going to go six deep? Is it really just going to be Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, and the rest of the guys? 
Like, I just don't think that can happen. Like, I, I really don't. Like, and maybe a little bit of Pritchard. Like, that's what I would be worried about with a long series. I We kind of talked a little bit about this with Chicago, is that when you get to a series like this, and you know it's going to be long, if you're playing 40, 50 minutes, not 50, but 40, 45 minutes a game, that's going to that's gonna impact you. That You're going to feel that. And so I do wonder if that will wear Boston down as the series goes on. And yes, it'd be nice to have Chris Middleton in this, um, as mentioned a little earlier. But man, I keep thinking about that Middleton is a guy you need and blow up in these type of situations. He's a guy that can bring you back. And the Bucks don't really have that guy that can bring you back unless a Connaughton, a Portis... Uh, Grayson Allen gets hot from beyond the arc. But yeah, it was it was a frustrating game to say the least. I expected Boston to come out firing. They did. Um, and they landed a bunch of punches early. And unfortunately, Mar- Milwaukee couldn't get back up. But the good news is they come back home. The good news is that Milwaukee has home court now. The ball is in their court. And they have an opportunity to really make some noise on Saturday and, and Monday. There's a chance that Milwaukee could end up being 3-1 before it's all said and done and going back to Boston. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know take that out of the equation. I think that's that's definitely on the table. I think 2-2 is probably more realistic. I would be stunned, honestly, if it was 3-1 Boston heading back to heading back to Boston, um, which would be an all-time disaster. I I really would. Like if I had to rank the possibilities, I would say, I would give it 70% chance that's 2-2. I would say it's a, a 70 might be a little strong. Let's go 60% that it's 2-2. Um, I would say then 50% that it's 3-1. And I would say 10%. Oh, no, that's where, how do percentages work, Charlie? Oh, that's embarrassing. 60%. That it's 2 2, 30% that it is 3 1 Bucks, 10% that it's 3 1 Boston. And maybe I'm being generous. It might even be a 5%, not lying. Like, I just don't see the Bucks losing two straight games at the Pfizer Forum. I'd be absolutely flummoxed if something like that were to happen. So we'll see what happens this weekend. We're going to talk, obviously, a lot about it as we get closer and closer. There's going to be takes, people are going to doubt. Um, I expect a massive game from Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that place is going to be absolutely on fire. I'm wanting that weather to get nicer. Um, we're like one day away. Like one on set Sunday, the weather starts to warm up. Naturally, I'm going to be in Mexico, and we'll talk about the scheduling plans for that later this week. But I, I really, really hope that the weather can improve and you get – like 55 degree weather and everybody is just on one and it is a loud loud place in the Pfizer forum Pfizer needs a nickname we need to call it something i mean it you could call it the house that Giannis built right but it, it's long term like i love the fact that they call the pelicans arena the blender td garden the garden right the mecca for madison square garden like i i feel like the Pfizer forum needs its name I don't think you can call it the Forum because that's still like the, the old LA stadium. Um, and I think actually it's rebuilt now, but it used to be called the Forum. I don't think you can call it the Forum. I just I just don't think that's what you can refer it to. The big serve, no. 
Um, I, yeah, I mean, the house that Giannis built, it makes the most sense. But it's it's a long, that's to me too long. Greek Freak's lair, Greek, the, the Greek Freak kingdom. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, the, I, was, I was thinking like, what are, the, what are LeBron's places? It was called the Q. I guess the Heat don't have a name for theirs. Philly doesn't have a name for theirs. Um, so maybe this is something I'm just thinking too much about. I'm also taping this podcast way late. So when I, I tape this podcast late, it is a free-for-all in terms of my brain. It can go in a lot of places, which it's doing right now. All right, stop rambling. Let's talk about Weicho. Luis Urias is back with the Milwaukee Brewers. Luis Urias had two hits today. Or no, he got base three times. I don't know if he had two hits. I think he had definitely had one. But he got base three times, which you love to see. And he is back in the Brewers starting rotation, starting lineup. The Milwaukee Brewers beat the lowly Cincinnati Reds 6-3. to three. As teams keep rocking and rolling, the Reds are now 3-20. and 20. It's, it's hard to believe how bad the Cincinnati Reds truly are. But they are. I mean, they are, they are just a bad, bad baseball team right now. And I was a little concerned that potentially the Reds would be like, all right, we're going to play for pride. We're going to start to kind of win games. But they really just might be bad. Um, Urias uh, was in the nine hole he was one for two uh like i said with an rbi as well as a walk and he got caught stealing um which is kind of good to see right the guy had a quad injury and he's already trying to steal a base i have big expectations for luis urias this year i am buying a lot of stock in luis urias i wouldn't be surprised if luis urias is batting seventh maybe even an occasional leadoff or batting second opportunity depending on days off and things like that I think Luis Urias has all the makings to be a complete stud this year. And he's a really kind of low-key fan favorite in a way because of the way he just kind of smiles and carries by himself. He's kind of good looking too. So he has that angle about him. And he he's a great clubhouse guy. Like he is definitely a guy that everyone seems to really enjoy having, you know, with the Brewers. Um, Willie Adamas said that him and Freddie Peralta went to the Milwaukee airport Monday night to go pick up Urias. So that kind of just shows you, you know, what sort of impact that can bring off the field. And then on the field, I think it just gives the Brewers a much more reliable option at third base. Now, I know the old school thinking of you need like a power hitter there and Urias's power shouldn't be slept on. Like the guy had a pretty damn good year in 2021. So like you shouldn't necessarily denigrate or think like okay just because this guy's hitting ninth doesn't mean that Luis Urias can't can't hit tanks right like that Luis Urias can't make things happen last year Urias was had 23 home runs 75 RBIs he stole five bases he had 122 hits 25 doubles one triple like he didn't have a great OBP great slugging percentage he also had a war of three he was worth three wins last year. I don't know if people realize how good Luis Urias was, and he's only he was only 23. So there is a real chance that Luis Urias could break out in a big way. And I think that he is an underrated part to the Brewers' offense. And I realize it's one game. I realize he played well in it. I realize it's against the Reds. But I, I, I do think that Luis Urias is going to have a significant impact on this team and could really propel the offense. I also think that even though the Brewers are beating up on the Sisters of the Poor, 
the offense has sort of righted the ship. I think it, I, it's fair to say in the last basically two, week, week and a half, that the Brewers offense is starting to kind of cook a little bit with, with peanut oil, which is great, which is something that I think we've all been kind of waiting for, and that's always been our concern, that this is going to be 2021 all over again, where we have this dynamite pitching staff, but we have absolutely no hitting to speak for. I am going to do a long-form podcast sometime next week. I got to do the planning of it all about like the trade value, basically, of like who would you trade, who wouldn't you trade, kind of stealing from Bill Simmons, the GOAT of the trade value column, but kind of do a trade value podcast of all the different Brewer guys because how can you make a deal and who might be available? Like, you know, there are different candidates that, you know, could be available come the trade deadline. Like one that terrifies me that obviously the Brewers wouldn't trade for is Madison Baumgartner. Like the guy is awesome, um, but he's uh, he will not be an option for the Brewers because they obviously have so much right now in terms of pitching. They don't need hitting. Um, Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz could be on the table. That would be interesting. Jesus Aguilar, maybe. Marlins are playing well. Bring him back. Trey Mancini. Another guy. Um, so there, there are some names available, but it's it's not that exciting as of now, right? It's it's really not exciting at the moment, and maybe that's something that we have to talk through and really understand who could be available, who could not be available, what's realistic, what teams with the new debt with the new playoffs will go for it or not. So maybe a guy like Luis Urias will be able to sort of quell some of those concerns. And if the Brewers offense is cooking in the right direction, maybe it won't be needed. That would be like my best case scenario. It's not that I want to hold on to all these assets like it's my precious, like it's a ring. I didn't even watch Lord of the Rings, but I I understand that reference. I'm sure you guys do too. Like I don't need to hold these guys super tight from a prospect perspective but if the Brewers have a top 10 offense, then yeah, make some minor moves, build up your bench. I think to me, like that was my biggest learning from the Braves World Series win was they had a bunch of different guys you could throw at them. Okay, Eddie Rosario is going to be there. Jorge Soler, uh, Adam Duvall. I think they had already had Adam Duvall, so throw that out. But they had multiple dudes who were there that, that could make an impact. And all the Brewers did was Eduardo Escobar. I think that's more the creative thinking of like how do we bolster that bench so that literally all of our bench are guys who either can A, hit home runs, or B, drive in a big big run when we need them to. And now with the DH, it changes things maybe a little bit, but I still think that helps in terms of having as much assets and not relying on guys like Jace Peterson. No disrespect, but I don't really want Jace Peterson on my bench if I'm trying to win a World Series. So we'll see what the Brewers do, um, and we'll see if they can keep it up against the Reds. Uh, you have Freddie Peralta heading onto the mound tonight against Vladimir Gutierrez. Um, if Mitch and I do a show today, uh, we'll probably not talk about that, but we'll certainly uh, talk about the Brewers as we get ready for Friday's show. All right, let's wrap up with the Wisconsin Shotsky. If you're unfamiliar, you're new to the program. What this is, we run through three topics they're kind of smaller in nature. Um, they're not necessarily um, going to be full-on topics. It can be a blend of life stories. It can be a blend of sports, things like that. 
Um, and today's topics are going to be scheduling errors by both the Warriors and the Bucks arenas, uh, Alex Lazare's bad week, uh, and then lastly, we will talk about my review of Batman and why we Batman just is the best superhero. Starting off with the Warriors and the Bucks, aka the Chase Center and the Pfizer Forum. The Chase Center decided to schedule two nights of Joe Coy, a comedian who was famously on Chelsea Handler's show. He's been on some Barstool podcasts if you listen to KFC Radio. Um, he's he's a guy who's on a variety of things. I think he had a Netflix uh, special that did really well. Um, but he's playing two nights at the Chase Center. Now, I didn't know Joe Coy was big enough to play the Chase Center. Like, I, I, I really didn't. Um, I didn't know that Joe Coy was that big of a name. Uh, for a reference, he's going to come to Milwaukee and he's going to play the Paps. So I dug into it. I was like, okay, maybe it's like he's from San Francisco. Maybe he's from Oakland. Maybe he's he, he lives close. Like he has just a hometown crowd. And nope, no, he's from Tacoma, Washington. So as I'm thinking about this now, I'm like, why would he get, why would he like sell out or get like a huge crowd at the Chase Center? Joe Coy is Filipino-American. So, I mean, I don't know if there is a strong contingent. Now, I know, I think a lot of his routine has a lot of like Asian culture, Asian sort of you know, family, things like that. So I, obviously with the massive Asian population in the San Francisco area, maybe that's why he sells out those arenas. Now, I don't even think they're sellouts, but regardless, two comedy shows. Why the fuck are we doing two comedy shows in May? Like, did any did people just forget that the fucking Warriors exist? Like, did did was that just completely left off the schedule? And then you have the Bucks, who are no better. We have fucking Godsmack here on Friday night with I think it was three days grace and asking Alexandria for Hogfest. So an event put on by 1029 to Hog. First of all, how dare you for 1029 to Hog? not trying to you know accommodate with what the bucks are doing i understand that both stadiums are trying to make money i get that the pandemic was rough i get that you want to try to host as many events as possible to make back dollars at the gate but at the same time we have to be smarter in those situations there is no reason that we should have a three-day break from this series and everybody's going to be like oh nba extending it and in reality, if we didn't have a fucking concert uh, and a comedy show, I think we're getting Bucks Celtics Thursday night, Thursday, and then I think game four would be Saturday. Like, I think that's how they would have liked it to go. But because they have to adjust, because the Warriors can't play Thursday, the Bucks can't play Friday, and the Warriors can't play Friday, they have to extend it to Saturday. That also fucks up with my Mexico journey because now... There will be a game on, the game four will be one Monday. I have no idea what I'm going to do for that. I have zero clue. Now, there I think there are some Bucks fans there. I have no idea if there will be TVs. I can't really watch it in my hotel room. I'm going to probably record it. So I'm probably going to have it for myself when I fly back into the States. Well, I actually don't know if I can do that. I'll probably just watch it when I get home. But that's also a tough, tough situation. I'll probably have to watch it very late at night. And then who knows? Maybe I want to watch it. Maybe I don't want to watch it. Uh, but yes, I, I will watch it for the good of the show. And then, and then in game five, same problem. Wednesday, I'll be gone. So 
hopefully the Bucks close it out. Yeah, I would rather have the Bucks close it out than it be a game six on Friday. Because game six adds a whole bunch of worms. And you're like, Charlie, what do you mean? Well, my wife's birthday is on Thursday. We fly out. We fly out Thursday. And I want, we wanted to stay an extra day. Um, we didn't. Um, we couldn't make it happen with the travel agent, whatever. So we fly out her, on her birthday. Um, we get back in, I don't know, 10 o'clock. We'll probably be in 10 o'clock. And so the, that day is kind of like all about her. And everything, everything kind of revolves around her. And I, I celebrate birthdays. We could do a whole topic on birthdays. I'll, I won't go too far. This is kind of probably too long for Shotsky. It's probably like a fucking topic. But anyways, I have to do that from a birthday perspective. I have not unveiled to her like, hey, there's a basketball game that night. I am waiting until there is a guaranteed game six. And then, I'm, and then I will bring the news to her because it'll be Friday night. It'll be at the Pfizer Forum. It'll be bucks and six potential. Um, yeah, that's you, that's a not miss, right? So I do I do have a plan. Like I always have a plan on this stuff. Like I always think ahead. I never like lose sight of the sports calendar. For guys who struggle with this with their significant others or a girlfriend, little pro tip. Just always be planning this shit in your head. You will never go wrong. Some might say this is a little autistic of me. I don't care. Um, I have to, this is how I have to roll. And the fact of the matter is, is like, I'm just going to put it out to her and say like, hey, if this does happen, like, I, you know, I need to watch the game. I'd love to have you join us. Like, you're a lot of fun. We've, you know, she's joined us for a few different Bucks games. She came with me. She was the only one who came to the Bauhaus Fourth of July weekend. I was the only one here in town. All my friends left me. Never forget. Um, and it, we watched it together. And I was very grateful for that. So I would ask the same. And then I would just say, I will take you out to a kick-ass dinner on Saturday. You'll have me. Like, I won't, you know, whatever. Because Game 7 would be on, on Sunday if we needed to go Game 7. So anyways, um, I'm always thinking ahead. Her birthday party I, is the following Saturday. And that one, there's no kind of run from it. We have people invites, but we're going to bars and it'll be all right. We'll we'll figure we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen on that one. I'm not really too much, too worried about an Eastern Conference Finals game if we get there um, on that date because I just know we'll be in places that have to have it on. So so that's not a worry. Okay, that was way too long for Shotsky. I apologize for that. Um, also, so other things to discuss, Alex Lazary's bad week. So Alex Lazary, uh, who I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I just think the guy's kind of a tool. I met him once at Joe Cats. Uh, I asked him his thoughts on Harambe. Um, if you can imagine, I was fucking hammered. Um, Alex Lazary is running for Senate. Um, I'm not really going to give you political opinions. Um, this is not political corner. Um, this is not tapping the gavel um but what i will say about alex lazary and his political campaigns is i feel like it would for anybody really it'd be disingenuous to run for a senate position when you've only lived here for five fucking years um i just think that is just a, the wrong message to send those are people who do not understand your state um point blank you can find a lot better people who represent your state a hell of a lot better if Alex Lazary wants to get involved with politics, he should run for common council. He should run for chamber of commerce. He should run for mayor or lieutenant mayor. He should run for 
a county executive. I think it's county executive. That's David Carlias. I think that's it. So that like he should do stuff like that and work his way up. All right. Like, but being a Silver Spoon kid, Alex Lazary thinks everything is fucking handed to him. So Alex Lazary not only had the sweep emoji replying to the Bucks winning tweet, which everybody told him to delete. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. It's one game. Doesn't mean it's a sweep. Don't overreact, which was something we didn't cover in the open. But, like, Bucks fans ate a little bit of humble pie. Be like, this is why we, we don't want to get too high after a game one win. Anyways, he then, this is where the crown jewel of it all. Alex Lazary had an Instagram post of him, of his, like, campaign and talked about the great city. And it was a thing about climate change. And it was a picture of the Chicago skyline. Not Milwaukee. What an incredible doofus. What an absolutely out-of-touch mongrel. Uh, just get the fuck out of my face, Alex. And just go back to running the Bucks, hanging out at the MAC, and doing other things that rich trust fund babies do. Last thought on Batman. I don't know if you guys watched on HBO. If you haven't, uh, spoilers. So um, see ya. We'll be back tomorrow. Maybe with Mitch, maybe not. Uh, Mitch kind of gave me a little like, oh, I don't know if I can do Wednesday. And I didn't push back because I, I think I was drinking. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to know. Like maybe he's on a date. Maybe he has band practice. Maybe something else is going on. Who knows? Um, but we'll see if Mitch and I are doing podcasts tomorrow. But anyways, Batman. So I went on HBO Max. Um, I was home Saturday night. Um, I kind of wanted to go out Saturday night, even though I was going to do Bucks on Sunday. But... After realizing, A, not a lot of people were around, and B, it was pouring uh, biblically outside. I was like, all right, I'm staying in, and I'm going to watch Batman. Because it's like three hours. And I was like, all right, I am going to just sit down and watch this. I will sacrifice some sleep, um, have a couple cocktails, and watch the movie. It was awesome. I love Batman movies. I will always love Batman movies. Um, it made me want to watch The Dark Knight again. Maybe want to watch uh, Dark Knight Rises, which I haven't really watched, rewatched a lot. I've definitely rewatched Dark Knight and definitely rewatched Batman Begins a couple times, but I've not rewatched Dark Knight Rises, which I probably should do sometime soon. Um, Batman just kicks so much ass, dude. Like, Batman is just a badass. And while I wasn't a huge fan of Robert Pattinson's hair in it, and he kind of looks grumpy and emo y, he still fit the part. Like, Batman should be brooding. Batman should have scars. Like, Batman should not be a happy character. And that, to me, was what you saw with Robert Pattinson. I didn't think, like, oh, this is the Twilight dude at all. I didn't really compare him to Christian Bale because I, I feel like it's apples to pineapples. I know I say that phrase a lot, but seriously, like, I didn't think either of them were worth the comparison. Um, so I, I just kind of siloed him. Like, I was like, all right, this is Robert Pattinson's Batman, Matt Reeves, the director, that's his Batman. And then the Christian Bale, Christopher Nolan Batman is a whole other story. I thought the Riddler was terrifying. I've never thought of the Riddler as terrifying. I think when I think of the Riddler, I think of the cartoon. I think of Jim Carrey's awful Riddler back in the 90s. This was as good of a fucking Riddler as you'll ever get. He was he was very creepy. He was, I thought, joker S. I wouldn't put him at the level of Heath Leather's Joker. But Paul Dano was incredible as the Riddler. And the Easter egg at the end 
with the guy laughing next to him in Arkham Asylum. I'm talking about like, hey, you got to start some trouble. I'm going to meet friends. It sounded like the Joker. People don't know if it is the Joker. I think it actually was confirmed that it is the Joker. And that's such a huge role. I think it's the guy had played in Dunkirk. And there's a lot of stories about how playing the Joker fucks you up. Like, obviously, it did with Ledger. It did with Jack Nicholson. Like, it's the, it's a huge role. And it's a huge responsibility. Because everyone will compare you to those two. And both have high regards. Um, I like Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle. I thought they did a pretty good job with that. Um, the relationship that her and Batman have um, has always been sort of a back and forth. I love the idea of the Penguin not necessarily being the Penguin yet, like being the the kind of the precursor to the Penguin, calling him Oz. Uh, it was Colin Farrell under a ton of makeup, um, which he's actually going to do as a TV series. I don't know how I feel about a villain TV series. Um, I never watched Suicide Squad, which features a lot of the bad guys from from Batman, but I never watched it. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really strong movie. Like it was three hours, but it didn't feel like it. Like it really didn't. There was maybe a part in the middle where you could say, yeah, that went on for too long. But I really liked it. I thought John Totoro as Carmen Falcone was really good. I thought that was a, a really, really good character. Um, definitely, definitely enjoyed that. Um, Jeff, Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon was really good. Um, I also thought, I like, I just think the acting up and down was really strong. Like, I thought they cast it really well. I thought that it, again, didn't feel like a long movie. Um, so yeah, if you have three hours, um, maybe some downtime, maybe Friday night, right? Maybe brewing game ends early, it's 6.20. Um, maybe that's the time you flip on Batman or maybe Sunday, maybe Sunday afternoon, um, watch, maybe watch a little Batman. You only got one NBA game. I think the other ones at night. So maybe, maybe that's the time early afternoon or early morning. You flip on the Batman. That that's what I would recommend to do. I'm happy there's a sequel. I am a little bummed that I didn't get to see it in theaters, but I could not pull the trigger on seeing that by myself for three hours. I just felt like that was a long solo movie to watch by yourself. Enjoyed it on my couch. Um, I'm probably, you know, killing the film industry, but that's okay. All right. This podcast went for way too long. I have no idea how long this thing went. Ah, 45. I probably want to edit it down. It'll be closer to 42. Um, thanks for hanging out. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with either myself or myself and Mitch. Take care of yourself. Have a good one, Tappers. Bye.